Shelby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all swoped up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. your specialty. You gotta think big to make it big. I win every damn race I line up for. You got a gift. That's not enough. You need business sense. Now we're gonna make some serious money at this. You gotta work together with me on that, Don. Well, you and me like a team? You versus me, like always, except this time we take it on tour. The mongoose and the snake. But a snake and mongoose, not the other way around. Whew. Keep dreaming, brother. Mongoose and snake. Don, it's pretty catchy. Tom is always coming up with a way to make some money. What you got there, Joey? Hot cars? Hot wheels, Dad. Pretty cool, huh? Mattel makes a lot of money selling these toy cars. How can we all work together? You put these cartoon characters on the cars, and you watch the kids go nuts. Brother, we're about to become a team. The team. We'll put this support right on the map. I got three kids in the house. What I don't have is a husband. You watch your man, Lynn. Keep him out of trouble. You don't think all this fooling around interferes with the way you race? You're a loser. Races, your wife, kid. You afraid to give Lynn that baby she's always wanted? So I don't want to have kids and leave me my father. So what? We are getting everything we always wanted. This is your dream, not mine. Well, you're more important to me than anything in the whole world. In the far lane, Jim Nickel. In the near lane, Don Prudhomme. I'm done racing. Snake Prudhomme says he is done drag racing. You and me, we are drag racers, man. Time to get back behind the wheel, brother. 100,000 people are ready for the finals of the granddaddy of all drag races, the U.S. Nationals. I'm going to whip your ass today. Hey, Tommy. Tom, the Bondus McEwen against his longtime friend and nemesis, Don the Snake Prudhomme. He's faster, Snake or Mongoose? Snake. You paid those kids to say that. Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. This is Adam Janai from Mob Steel, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hustle hard out there, folks, and keep it real. Okay, 
Hey, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Chile, Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you missed any of our past shows, check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, which is also located on our website. And, uh, well, we're in the Christmas season, ladies and gentlemen, sports fans, race car fans. So I think it's only fitting that for the month of December, we do a couple of shows, two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten or however many we do. And let's talk about toys, toys for boys. And I'm not talking necessarily big cars, big toys for big boys, but uh, all kinds of toys for all kinds of boys. And I'm sure that most of us that are car guys started out with toy cars. I know I did. My grandmother, who was from Austria, which is a little country next to Germany, somewhere near Switzerland and to the north of uh, Italy and to the west of Yugoslavia and Hungary. Uh, she used to come over and visit us all the time. This is in the early 60s. And she brought me over, I'll never forget, it was a 1961 Mercedes 111 car. Actually, it was, uh, maybe, might have been, been a year before that. But anyway, so it, what it was, it was a little black Mercedes. And I think the name of the company was, or the manufacturer of the company was Shuko. Shuko makes really high-end quality cars. And in the late 50s, early 60s, um, you know, in the in the 30s and 40s, they had die cast, or they had actually had cast iron stuff and uh, lightweight and die cast. Well, it really wasn't die cast. It was kind of like um, metal, like a kind of like a pop metal. And um, some of them were Tootsie Toys uh, in the 50s. I think if you remember, they came out with Tonka Toys, uh, Buddy L, and things of that nature. And the Germans were really good with die cast. Die casts were coming on real strong in the 50s and all throughout the 60s and 70s and currently as well. And then they came out with a lot of tin cars. There was a lot of tin cars that were made after the war, um, some during the war too. And, you know, like you'll see these little tin cars and they've got uh, decals or painted on. They didn't really have silk screening back in those days, but they had some pretty neat graphics on some of those cars. And uh, they were – it's funny because when I was a kid growing up, they always looked a little on the, on the distorted side. You know, they never really looked um, really cool until they really came out with and, and they were really good in sculpturing and, and designing and building die casts. And the, some of the die cast stuff was absolutely incredible. But anyway, this little black Mercedes was a Chico. What was really cool about it is the trunk opened up and it had a spare tire in it and it came with a little lug wrench. And it had levers on the, underneath the underside of the car. And if you flip the levers down, uh, the wheel would kind of drop down just a little bit. And you take the lug nut and you could spin the little spinner off on the on the hubcap. And then you take the uh, you take the wheel off and change the spare. Well, for a little kid, you know, that's kind of really kind of cool because you almost just like, you know, I'm sure many kids when they were younger watched their dads change spare tires on their cars. And uh, those that could. And uh, so it was just kind of neat. It was kind of like uh, your your entry into tinkering with cars. And, you know, you start with the little models. And then, of course, um, you, you get, if you had the money and you could buy them, you could get some really good high-end, high-quality die-cast tar- cars. And in those days, Corgi was very popular. Dinky Toys was very popular. Matchbox, which was a smaller scale. So you had 173 and 143rd scale. 
And then you had um, plastic models. AMT came out, MPC, Ravel. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember those. And uh, so those were kits that you bought. They were plastic. They were really cool. And I remember building a lot of three-in-one AMT kits. And then what I would do is it came with like a little stand that you could actually set the cars on or you could tap them, you know, nail them, uh, uh, put them on the wall and had like a little V that came out. And uh, you set the car on that, and you could line your whole walls. And that was not uncommon back in those days. You know, kids that had that were in the cars, you know, we built models. And uh, we'd have, like, you know, maybe 10 or 15 of them on the wall. No different than the guys that built ships, the kids that were in the ships. You know, they'd have a whole bunch of ships on their dressers. And the guys that had airplanes, they had planes on their dressers. Or, in some cases, what they did is they figured out a way to anchor those things in the ceiling and would have them hanging down with fishing wire, you know, and cock them at little angles so they looked like they were dive bombing. So whether you had a fighter plane or whether you had a, you know, a biplane or a jet or something like that uh, or just a, 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 a luxury liner or something like that or just a passenger airliner, you know. But anyway, that's what we did. We built models and stuff. And, and what was really interesting is, uh, is out of that, you know, our hobby as we got older, you know, you get turned into a teenager and you start hanging around kids that are a little bit older and they're building and working on cars or dads are working on cars and ultimately you do. And the interesting thing about working on the cars or the models is that by this time – You've had so much experience reading directions if you did read directions, which I was notoriously not. And uh, but you know I knew rear ends, motors, transmissions, valve covers, intakes. I knew all I knew all the parts at an early age just because I was uh, building models, and a lot of kids did. You know it's funny because my generation and I'm in my 60s, early 60s that is. You know a lot of us uh, that's what we did. We built models, so it's kind of a, a lost art slash lost hobby. In fact, this past weekend because I always talk about what I did. I did two things. I went to the HSR uh, racing event at Sebring, the classic 12-hour. Pretty cool. A lot of amazing cars down there, a lot of cool vintage stuff. A lot of Shelbys there this time. One Cobra, two Cobras actually. Bunch of GT40s, really neat stuff. Lots of Porsches, a couple of Corvettes, some – there was a Healy there. Uh, Let's see what else was there. Um, A little Lotus 11. Trans Am Boss Rio 2 was out there. Uh, guy was racing one of those. Um, actually, you know whose car it was? It was uh, Mr. Everham's from uh, you know the Rainbow Warriors. And um, but at any rate, there was a lot of really cool stuff there, and uh, so that was fun. And then on Sunday, what I did is I hurried. I got home late, had to get up early, load my van, and then get up to uh, Sumter County and hang out at the swap meet. And that was one of the things we were talking about. We're looking, you know, you talk about a generational swing or generational shift right now. You know, a lot of the guys that are collecting cars, well, they get a little bit older. But you know, so the guys that were building models when they were kids uh, started collecting cars when they were teenagers. Now they're in their seventies, and now it's like, well, it's a lot of work to have these old cars and work on them, and you know, and uh, I'm getting too old to do this. Can't slither underneath the car like I used to. So you know, I'm back to building models now. Who's building the models? The older generation. Well, I ran into Bob Kotomaki, a real good friend of mine. He owns uh, House of Hobbies up on 19 there, just uh, north of Palm Harbor. Go visit him. Tell him you heard uh, heard House of Hobbies mentioned on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. But anyway, so Bob was up there, and I've known Bob since I was a kid. I used to buy models from him when he used to be down here in Clearwater. And we were talking about that, and that's exactly what he says. The generational shift is the older guys that are not working on cars anymore like they used to, or they instead of having 10, 15 cars laying around, they got one or two. And But you know what? They're picking up their old hobby, which is uh, building models again. So models are popular. Building models are popular with uh, with the older generation. Now, what's interesting is, is a lot of these older guys, if we have nieces and nephews and grandkids, you know, we try to get them involved in it so they're not glued to these 
goofy little devices right here that you guys call, I don't know, handheld computers or two-way communicators or whatever they're, they're, they're at, you know, because all they do is push buttons. I mean, that's like really, like for real, you know, and, um, but, you know, this is why I say they need to bring vocation back in school, you know, electronics and uh, wood shop and, uh, and uh, mechanics and stuff like that. And for little girlies, you know, Susie Homemaker classes. And business management, that's probably one of the most important things that need to be taught in schools, business management, so you can understand how to uh, save your money, work hard, save your money, and buy your hobbies, your cars and your boats and your motorcycles and your toy models and your big cars and your musical instruments and so on and so on and so on. Anyway, we got a very special guest for you, but before we bring our guest on, let me give you a little Florida Car Shows Minute, the beginning of uh, next month, January, is uh, Mecham, ticks it off this time. Uh, January 3rd up in Orlando or Kissimmee, uh, 11-day car show or car show auction, 3,500 cars. Uh, week after that, Scottsdale Collector Car Week. Everybody needs to go to that. If you've never been there, Bear Jackson, Goodings, RM, Bonham, Silvers. Uh, let's see who else is out there worldwide. Just an amazing uh, collection. And the car shows and the, the car show at the pavilion. Just It's like car car city mecca you know and uh and then and all the celebrities and the big name people in the industry they're all going to be there and let's see oh yeah the first month uh first weekend in uh february is the guitar expo in orlando so uh, we'll have some more friends on again we'll be talking about musical instruments and uh hey if you need your shoes fixed don't forget to check out my buddies over there at midway shoes because i had to get the soles redone i had a flat in my shoes, get it flat, flat tire, flat shoe, flat sole. So uh, give them a shout over there at uh, Midway Shoes. That's 581-2166. It's over there in Larghetto. Largo. Oh, yeah, Largo in uh, a week or two on the 15th. The big Largo parade, and yes, yours truly will be there again. We've been there, gosh, I guess four or five years, six years now going on. So the Largo parade will be taking place. Don't forget to... Uh, Check that out, and we will probably be driving the, the rollback, and we'll probably have a surprise car on the back because every year we bring something different, whatever we can get our hands on. So on that note, I think we're going to fire up the turntable real quick, and we're going to get ready to bring our guests on. And, uh, hey, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Here's a little blues. Is this little Joe Bonamassa? Is that who this is? All right, a little Joe Bonamassa here. I'll play the blues for you. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. What do you get when you cross Suzanne Summers and Goldie Hahn? You get Linda Vaughn. And I'm listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Why don't you? Okay, we're back, and uh, yeah, you should be tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars every Tuesday right here on the Tan Talk Radio Network for some fun-filled, entertaining uh, discussions about cars and bikes and boats and music. And uh, what else? You know, it's pretty sad when you, uh, you know, that's one thing I truly enjoy on, on my show, because it is my show, after all, as um, we do tend to pick out some pretty good music. I mean, um, my son's pretty good at that. He's got a real keen ear for music, and he digs the 60s, 70s stuff, so he's pretty good. Every once in a while when I get in a jam, I have to call and say, hey, Bobby, I needed some songs for tonight. You got any ideas? You know, because sometimes my mind goes blank, and uh, I haven't been taking too many brain pills lately, but at any rate... But when I roll into a racetrack or, you know, to get fuel, and the music that they play at racetrack gas stations is better than any of the music played on any of the radio stations around here, that's pretty sad. That really is. I mean, the radio stations we got around here are absolutely pathetic. Now, I go out of my way to try to find some pretty cool music. I don't want to play the run-of-the-mill stuff, but I try to play some other stuff. Sometimes the B-sides of an album or of a, a 45 or whatever. But, you know, I take the time to kind of research it a little bit. So you won't always hear the same stuff, but it is good music. And uh, and I'm and I'm a lousy musician anyway, but still, I, I like uh, – I, I got a thing for, for, for music. And, we, and we're rather eclectic. We play, you know, some blues and we play jazz once in a while. And we play a lot of rock and roll. And um, – but, you know, Racetrack does pretty good. And in fact, every once in a while, I'll roll in there, and there'll be a song, and I go, ah, I like that song. I make a note, and I and I jot it down. The other thing I do is uh, if you go over to Orlando, even Orlando has a much better radio station. But one of the best ones around the state is the ones that they call Bob FM or Jack FM. And it's kind of automated radio, but they play some pretty good stuff. And they play all kinds of standards. So they play uh, – I can't remember the exact term. My son will text me here in a minute because I'll say it wrong – but they play a lot of, uh, you know, they'll play 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, or 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, um, there's, a, there's a term for that. I can't remember what it is, but that's what they play. 
Anyway, and uh, and then of course if you uh, if you have satellite, uh, I listen to uh, garage rock uh, and uh, garage bands, garage garage. Uh, it's Little Stevie's Underground Garage, and then I listen to uh, um, a couple of the other uh, rock and roll ones that they have on there. But anyway, I think it's about time that we're going to go ahead and uh, fire up the turntable again here, and we'll play some more cool bluesy music since we're on a blues kick tonight. And uh, we'll be back with our special guest for the evening. So, hey, don't touch that dial. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Here's a little B.B. King and Eric Clapton.
crossroads. Yeah, I made the deal. Oh, I get it. You want some kind of contest, huh? Real's my boy, Where a thin line separates the good. I'm giving you all the magic I've got from the great. Louis Brown sent me. Eugene Martone is ready to cross it. Tom Mongers McGillan, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Your show's great. Okay, we're back. And yes, I uh, I was corrected. My son, uh, the word I was looking for was variety station, variety songs. But I also need to point out, too, that if you tune into WTAN, that's our station right here, AM 1340, and we've got a whole bunch of stations, quite frankly, you can listen to Music of Your Life, and they play a pretty good selection of 50s, 60s, 70s music, 80s music, 90s music. So Music of Your Life has really come on real strong. Started out playing a lot of 30s, 40s stuff, 50s stuff, but, man, they play some pretty good pretty good stuff nowadays so that's what my station dial is set on in my car the classic lineup the classic lineup there you go thanks vaughn good evening vaughn by the way <laughs> good evening okay well now it's time to introduce our special guest since we were talking about diecast cars and model cars and all that cool stuff the gentleman that i'm about to introduce that is what he's done for the last 49 and probably a half years going on to the 50th i'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening mr hot wheels himself larry wood larry how you doing hey robert you got uh, good taste in music there. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was commenting. I was actually tooting my horn a few minutes ago, but uh, thank you. Yeah, that was, uh, beside the music, that movie is still one of my favorites. That was a good movie. Yeah, I saw that back in the day. I think it was, what, 1986? In the mid-'80s or something like that came out, right? Something like that. I pull it out every once in a while. Just so it, it was such a great movie. Now, are you a musician, too, as well as a car guy? No, if I had gone to the crossroads, I might be, but instead I uh, traded my soul for uh, drawn cars. Just traded your soul for drawing cars. Okay, now it's funny. I, you got to explain this to me. In your bio, it says that you – now, we know you're a car guy and a uh, pretty serious one at that, but it says that you, you said that you did not play with toy cars. When Did I, did I read that right? Yeah. No, I did, I don't remember ever playing with any kind of toy cars, uh, sit on toy cars, or, or push around toy cars when I was a kid. Uh, you know, cowboys and Indians, which I remember having a stick with a horse head on it, riding it around the neighborhood with my cowboy hat on. And uh, things like that were what, you know, kept me busy back in Connecticut. So, uh, and of course, in the winter, we had snow sliding and snowball fights and everything. So, no, I don't remember cars at all. So when did your uh, passion for uh, cars and stuff uh, really overtake your life? Well, there's got to be two points. Uh, first one is, remember, this was the uh, 60s, probably beginning of the 60s, something like that. And the cars, were you got to admit, the 50s and 60s cars were pretty cool. I mean, uh, no, actually, it was the 50s uh, were pretty cool. And I lived on a road that went to the beach. So during the summer, all the rich people would get in their big Lincolns and Mercury turnpike cruisers and everything and cruise to the beach. And I would just sit on the side of the road looking at these cars going by. And, you know, with a, back then with all the cars and the chrome and everything, it was just, you know, like a parade of, of beautiful things going by. And that kind of sparked my interest. But the main thing that got me going is my dad was a football coach, and he caught one of his players reading a Hot Rod magazine in the back of the class. So he took it away from him, and he brought it home, and he made the mistake of throwing it on the kitchen table. 
And from then on, Hot Rod Magazine under the covers at night with a flashlight, just everything. These people were modifying cars. I couldn't believe it. It's, you could take a car that was, uh, you know, just from the factory and somebody would change it. It was just, you know, I love to see what people do with their cars. So when you turned 16, I presume you, you got a car. So what was your first car? Well, first place you had to drive the family car. So oh, yes. uh, 57, yeah, 57 Chevy, uh, two-tone green, four-door station wagon, six-cylinder oh. stick. And, uh, of course, I found out that if you turned the key off and on, you could blow the muffler out pretty quick. So yeah. I took care of that. <laughs> and then, um, then uh, you know, I had a uh, customizing kit hit halfway to the cruise place. And I would take the car and go halfway to the cruise place and pop off the little hubcaps, put on some hubcaps I stole somewhere, and put, uh, and put you know, put the skirts on it. And I had uh, I had two antennas that would go in the bullets and the hood that would come out. They looked pretty cool until some wise guy every once in a while would pull them all the way out and it'd be sagging out the front of the car. So, uh, you know, I had a customized kit. And on the way home, I had to stop, take it all off, put the stuff back on and drive it home so Dad could drive it the next day. No kidding. No kidding. So then, then it got time to uh, time to you know get my own car, and uh, Dad Dad didn't have a taste in cars, but he had a, a thin wallet, so he found a uh, a car for Mom and said, "You're going to share it with Mom." It was a '47 Ford four door sedan, bright purple, lowered in the rear with skirts, six cylinder stick. And mom drove that. It was called the Wood Violet. She was a school, uh, art teacher, and she would drive that to school every day. Then I got to use it in the evening, which was again pretty cool. Till I blew the transmission up trying to burn rubber with a six-cylinder, which was stupid at the time, of course. <laughs> so that one, that one went away. And then Dad was in town looking for another car, and his buddy, who you know, some sports freak, gave him a, a discount on a '54 Studebaker hardtop black. Ooh, was that a gorgeous car. I knew I was in heaven right about then. So that was my major car for a year or two until I blew the transmission out of that, too. Wow, you were like hard on clutches and trannies back hey, in the day. Well, <laughs> hey, Hot Rod Magazine said you'd drive them hard, so that's what I did. <laughs> well, now let me ask you this. So uh, your mom was an artist, and I'm guessing that that part of the gene fell on the, your side and that you have kind of a very artistic ability because I was reading on it because you went to, you were very fortunate to go to the uh, art, uh, call, art yeah, school. Yeah, I went to uh, art, art Center here art in Center. Los Angeles. Uh, the story is that I was working at Pratt & Whitney Aircraft just for a job. Uh, it, was, it was a cool job because it was the first time anybody ever judged me on what I used my hands for. Up to that point, it was always, can you spell or can you know when Hitler was this or, the, you know, the history classes and everything never made sense to me. So uh, finally, somebody judged me on what I could do with my hands. And math never made, you know, I don't care about math or anything, but all of a sudden <laughs> you could take a piece of sheet metal and drill a hole in it and bend it and the the materials stretched and, and, and did this and did that and had all these formulas that made the, when you were making the experimental sheet metal parts and it all kind of made sense to me then and again I was using my hands so that was the start of it I realized I could make a living using my hands and uh, the only trouble is one day I turned around the guy next to me was 40 years old and he was doing the same thing I was and I said no no I don't want to do this the rest of my life so at 21 I talked my mom into helping me with a portfolio and sent it to the art center, never figuring I would, you know, ever 
get a chance to go there because it was all my buddies' cars. I drew all their cars and cartoons and stuff like that. Sure enough, got accepted. So that was the beginning of the car stuff. Well, now it's interesting because, you know, the art center there, uh, some distinguished people, Pete Brock of Cobra fame, Larry Shinoda, and uh, a whole litany of other people have come out of there that have uh, done very well in the car world. So, uh, Oh, yeah, and hundreds of uh, car designers that nobody knows their name were back in Detroit designing all those great cars back then. So I got to meet a lot of people and uh, just fantastic time working at Art. Art Center was really tough. We started with 50 in the class and six of us graduated. And uh, we, I went straight through. I didn't take a summer off or anything because I didn't want to go back to East. And um, it was it was tough. We were up late at night. I had a guy that sat next to me in my, uh, you know, we rented an apartment with a whole bunch of guys. The guy sitting next to me, his name was Tom Semple. And Tom Semple was the, the man. I mean, he got a straight A's all the way through school. And I'd work all night on my project and just struggle and just keep going and think I was done. I'd turn around and there was Tom Simple with his fabulous drawing. I'd say, whoops, I got to stay up all night, keep going. So you know how it goes. You're always trying to stay up with the, with the best guy around. So he was a great teacher for us. Would you, would you say that you had, like some people have natural talent, sounds like this Tom guy did, but you had to kind of really work at it to have a really positive end result. Yeah, I was okay. You know, I mean, nobody had taught me anything up to that point, you know, in the colors or anything else. And I have a, a natural knack for perspective. In fact, even in the perspective class where we had to draw these lines and everything had to intersect and everything, I could almost do it without going through all the mathematics and making things work. And so I'm pretty lucky in that case. Uh, as far as car design, that, that's obviously what Art Center would take you and take you from drawing stick figures to drawing real beautiful shapes and how to present them and everything else so is that the main focus at the art center it's not is it is it automotive or do they it's other other architecture and things as well, well so, at the time yeah at the time art center was the car place it was uh, they the car photography place. uh fashion design and of course right now with the digital age everything's changing and uh, it's almost all uh, digital in almost every class but no if you're going to make a living in art uh, art center is the place to go it's not a you know you're not maybe going to make pretty drawings but you're going to learn how to present yourself and how to make a a uh, design uh, work in the, whatever environment you're in okay and then after that you and it's well it's a well-known fact like you said that uh the big three back in the day and even some of the european manufacturers would go to the art center and they would look around and they would actually pluck people out of there and give them jobs so you Went to Ford. Did somebody from Did somebody from Ford recruit you from Art Center? Yep, exactly. We we had Ford, Chrysler, and uh, General Motors come out give us an interview. Tom Semple went to Chrysler, went to GM because they picked the cream of the tr- crop. But I wanted to go to Ford because it was the performance place at the time. You know, this you're talking '65. Okay, thing had just come out, and uh, Ford was you know really into performance about that time, big blocks and everything. So I wanted to go where the hot rod stuff was. And <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, it was, I got to do door handles and grills for a few months when I first got back there, because when you're a, a student first coming back, they get, they break in for a year or so. Uh huh. And, and so how long did you work for Ford? I worked for Ford for two years, got uh, 65, 66, 67. And, uh, and then so 
it was it was okay, a little politics and you know fun. But I I hung around with a couple guys that were just absolute crazies, and we partied. And I remember I'm single and just finally got a paycheck. I had paychecks laying on my desk. I didn't know what to do with you know, so because I had been at art center trying to save every penny. So uh, it was fabulous time. It was just the, the you know the kind of thing you're supposed to do when you when you turn 22, 23. So what are some of the projects that you worked on? What were some of the parts that you did for specific cars, cars that we kind of identify with? <laughs> well, the main thing you're going to identify with, and I take credit for it, but I never finished it because I left before it started, was the Shaker Hood Scoop on the 69 Mustang. Oh, did you, I was always, did you work well, with Larry Shinoda? I was always drawing, I was always dra- drawing uh, hood scoops uh-huh. on everything, you know, and... Uh, they were, you know, they said, no, look, quit drawing that stuff. You'll, you never be able to produce that, you know, with rain and snow and all that. And I kind of said, well, if you hooked it to the engine and had drain pipes going down here, maybe it would work. Again, I quit, so somebody else carried it to the finish. Um, but I, I remember doing all the original sketches and stuff. And again, I never thought it was going to go into production or anything. It was just me, you know, sketching. That's what you get paid for. It come up with ideas, you know. Well, now so I. I I got credit for it, even though I didn't, you know, I'm sure there's somebody else there that did as much work as I did on it. Okay, so the shake, so this would have been 68, so this would have been before it hit the Mach 1s and the bosses and stuff yep, like that. exactly. So yep. did, did you have an opportunity to work with Larry Shinoda then? Because, you know, he's... No, I got there, I got there just after he left. Oh. So I, mi- I missed that part of it. He was, uh, he was in the 65, you know, 64 in that area. Remember, you're working a couple years ahead. Okay. So, uh, you know, this, the, the cars were basically done by then, and I, we were just doing add-ons, you know, uh, stuff in the grills and, and things like that to finish up the cars. So how did the original concept of the Shaker come about then? Now, you, the reason I have to say this, because I'm a Boss 302 guy, and there's a Shaker sitting on my Boss 302. <laughs> okay. I've got one actually in here. They gave me one for a uh, uh, the 35th anniversary of my working at Mattel. They gave me a, sh- a whole Shaker hood with uh, everybody signed on it. It was kind of cool. Um, well, again, I was drawing cars with big engines and pipes coming out the side, hood scoops and everything like that. So basically that's how it came. And and again, I didn't have the final design. I didn't do the final engineering. I just did the concepts like, why don't we do this? You know? So I'll take credit for the idea. And again, I think somebody else probably carried it into production. Okay. Well, then you left there and you went back into air. You went to work for uh, Lockheed, right? From what I understand. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a story though. Sure. uh, Oh yeah. 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 This Corvette uh, story. (laughs) So I'm, I quit Ford, went to work for a company called Sunberg Ferrari, which is an industrial design build company, a small company in Detroit, because they had an opening in California. And I said, I'll work for you and for a month or two, and then if you like what I do, I'll go to California. If you don't like what I do, I'll go to California on my own. So I went over there, and working at Ford was, you know, it wasn't a slave outfit by any means. We had a great time partying, having a good time, two-hour lunches, go home early, you know. <laughs> this was a big company, so we, we enjoyed it. We had a great time. So I go to Sunbury Ferrar, and the first thing they do is I walk in, they give me two or three jobs that are due the next day. I thought they'd just tell me, okay, go home and come tomorrow. Jeez, I had to work all night working on these projects. So it was kind of a shock doing products. I did uh, door handles for for Sears. I did, a, I did the first tractor with headlights on it. I did uh, jukeboxes for uh, the jukebox company at the time. I can't remember. Seabird. Oh, wow. I did things like that for like two months. You know, it was great. And then finally one day I walked into the boss's office and I said, I'm, I'm leaving. So uh, 
They said, okay, here's one ticket. I said, wait a minute. I just got married. I got two hot rods sitting out here. No, this is not Ford. You're on your own. So so January, I think it was about January 5th, I hopped in my split window 63 Corvette with Goodyear racing tires on it, which, by the way, even spitting on the street would have had that car going sideways. I crashed that car so many times because of those tires in the rain. It, I was noted. I got the whole. I got so I could rip the front end off the car and put it in the trunk, take it home, and glass it up, and go to work the next day on the same car. But finally, I got it all fixed up. I cut out the wheel wells, had big tires, you know, and big all the way around. Had it lowered with driving lights on it and everything, bright orange, and uh, it was a neat car. Took all the bumpers off and drilled holes across the back like the race cars had and everything. So, okay, January fifth, I leave for California in a Corvette that can't hit weather. Believe it or not, I made it all the way without hitting rain or snow. You talk about lucking out, being a dumb kid, you know. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah. whatever happened, my to, favorite the, go ahead, whatever happened oh, to the Corvette? I, you know, wife and kids, and you got to get a, a, another car, sold it for 1500 bucks. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But one of the best stories, though, back then, remember, this is uh, 67. I'm... Um, cranking cross-country in about somewhere like, I'm guessing, uh, Kansas City or somewhere like that. I hook up with a big block Chevelle, and we start hauling, and we're just going. Remember, no radar, no, you know, most cops that are leaving you alone. We raced for, like, <laughs> probably 500 or 800 miles. We'd pull into a gas station. We wouldn't even look at each other. We'd just throw $5 at the guy and pump full of gas and hop back in the car and both go back onto the road. And it was it was a, one of the most memorable things I can remember was growing up. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun and just open that road. That was fun. Yeah, the open road, hundred miles an hour plus for hours on end. It was great. So wow, interesting. Um, all right, so then you get to California and you work for Lockheed for a while. So what happened? What do you do at Lockheed? Yeah, L ten eleven was just coming out, and the job I got was a, a, a consultant for Lockheed with Sunbird for as a design consultant doing uh, aircraft interiors and you know material. Uh, where do we? What does the sides look like? It was the first airplane that had uh, hidden lighting and the and the the luggage on the sides. When you stood up, the luggage was on either side of you. Up to that point, the luggage was you know, kind of hanging in the middle and everything. It was a big breakthrough. And I worked with, the, we've had about six or eight guys, I think, and we designed, and we had to lay out full size every time American Airlines came. We had to do a full size interior with all their colors in it, everything for approval. So we did that over and over again. So it was a job, you know, something to do for a while. So then there's a party one night and you find out about Mattel. So tell us that story. So I got this, so I got this call from my buddy who we worked with at Ford. And uh, he, he lived down in the South Bay. I was up in Burbank, which is, you know, quite a ways away. He lived in uh, the South Bay and said he was having a party that night. And so I said, okay, well, let's go down and see what, he, what he's up to. I haven't seen him in a long time. Almost didn't make it because it was real foggy. It gets foggy down here in that time of the year. And um, went to the house, and, you know, we're sitting around, and these kids are playing. And they're playing with this orange track with these little cars on it. And I thought, wow. I did My kid wasn't old enough to buy anything like that so wow well, those are cool what are those and he said well those are hot wheels i that's what i'm doing i'm designing these little cars but he says i don't really want to do this he wasn't as car not as much as i am he says i don't want to do uh, space stuff because this was the time of the space exploration 
So he said, I want to do map mason and space, you know, things. I said, I'll tell you what, you get me in and you can go do space. I'll do the cars. And basically, that's what happened. I did an interview with the boss and got in and first started drawing cars. Wow. So take us through the process. Now, you got in there one. This is 1969. So this is like... Late 69. Right. Yep. So this is the year after the Sweet 16 when they first came out with right. the little... Right. They had just come out. They were selling like crazy. Uh, Harry Bradley had left. A couple other guys had come in and gone. And Howard Reese was the guy they, that I got the job from. So it's funny because I had been at Ford doing grills and door handles and, you know, everything else because... Again, you got to work there for years before you finally get a full-size car to work on. So the first day I get in there, I get in, settle in my office, and get my supplies and everything. I sit down, and they come to me and say, okay, do a car. I'm going, wait a minute, I've never done a whole car before. So, you know, I did a sports car. I did a, a real swoopy sports car with three turbine engines in it because knowing Lockheed, I know how to make a jet engine and stuff. So that you know, was my, my first car. Oh, and then, which was did that car hit production by any chance? Oh yeah, yeah, the Tri Baby. The Tri Baby, okay. So take us through I the. Didn't pr- name them. You didn't name them, okay? I so, don't. We didn't name cars back then. We had a, a guy that named cars. Okay, so take us through the process. How does this work? So you sit there and you sketch this thing out, and then so take us through the the, uh, the process of 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 from you the first time you put your pencil to a piece of artwork till it actually rolls off the assembly line, so to speak. Basically, we would uh, understand we were going to do X amount of cars that year. Okay. And so you would, uh, you know, do a bunch of different ideas. Did you want to do a Bronco or a, a muscle car or a dream car or whatever? And you would put the sketches on the walls. And uh, then the big shots would come in. Yeah, there were no big shots. It was a couple. My boss and his boss, of course, uh, would come in and look at them and would talk it over. And sometimes we would take parts out of one, put it on another and everything. But basically... I was doing what I wanted to do. So, you know, it was the fun part with it, getting to do the cars you always wanted to do into a small scale. Interesting. So you had total liberty to do a Camaro, a Mustang, uh, something wild uh, like that Tri-Baby or uh, let's see, what was the other one that they did? The Hot Wheels uh, Twin Mill? Did, were you responsible? Well, the Twin for Mill was done. Yeah, that was done before I got there. Oh, okay. I did that. There, there were some famous cars done just before I got there. So, uh, and again, the same thing, but Hot Wheels, you got to understand that most toys last two or three years okay. and that's it. And Hot Wheels was hot like crazy for two or three years. And then after I'd been there for a year or so, the sales started to drop off and, uh, they let go of a few people around me, you know? So I was just, basically I was there by myself after a couple of years. Um, and then I really was there by myself for the next 20 years until the sales started to pick up. And the sales started to really pick up when the fathers that were playing with Hot Wheels had kids. Uh-huh. And they would go to the store and say, i got to get something for my kid. Ooh, I remember Hot Wheels. And by that time, you know, we had a pretty good shelf space. And all the toys would start selling. And then the Christmas time, of course, all the sets would start selling. And uh, that's when it took off. I mean, we had to hire all sorts of people to get to keep going and keep up with the band. And they're making, uh, I think it's $4 million a week now. So hard to believe. Four million Hot Wheels cars, toys a week. A week. Wow. All right, I got to back up. The mongoose and the snake. I played a little prelude to that earlier in the show. So yeah, you were there. It. You were there when that came about. Tell us how that came about and how you got involved. 
Well, first place, there's a movie called The Mongoose and the Snake out there that kind of shows how it happened. It wasn't 100% true, but it was basically true. Uh, the marketing guy, and i got to give him credit because he who was the person said yes or no, uh, they came in and introduced the, the snake. Uh, the mongoose was the showman. He really would put on a good show and everything. So he came in and says, you know, X amount of people see us every day, and we're going to be the rivals against each other, and you'll make the toys, you'll make the money. So it went on like that, and then... After he signed the contract, of course, they said, well, Larry, you got yourself a job. You've got to do these two cars because we're going to have sets and cars and, uh, you know, they're going to go out drag racing. So never thought in the wildest ideas that the thing would become as big as it did. But those two did a great job, went all around the United States. And, you know, I used to see them here at Lions all the time. And, uh, they, you know, they still got contracts with us. We're still working with them. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Well, who are some of the other uh, well-known uh, racers and celebrities and car people? I think you had a you had a uh, an interlude there with uh, Carol Shelby at one point. Actually, I worked for Carol Shelby after I. I haven't really retired. I'm a consultant, but uh, you know, I just I'm available if they want me to do anything. And really? I got a call from uh, somebody at Shelby's once asking me if I was. This was after I. Like I say, retired. I think it was 2010. Uh, if I could do the new GT350. Wow, you know, fly to Vegas and, and design the new 350. The trouble is, Carol and a few other people had a few ideas. They wanted to kind of keep it like the original uh, yeah. GT350. So, and then we had problems with the bumper who was right in the way of the grill. And, you know, the, you know how it goes when you start designing, things change. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't come out the best design I've ever done, that's for sure. But uh, it was fun. I had a great time. I'd sit there with Carol at lunchtime and eat. You know, share French fries and everything. What an honor, you know. Wow. Great guy. We got a few minutes left, so tell us about your personal cars and your private car collection and some of the stuff that you're doing now. Well, ever since I, you know, started at Poppy in Detroit, I think I built my first one. Well, actually, at Art Center, uh, I finally found a, I traded a motorcycle for a 31 Ford uh, High Boy Coupe, no fenders, flathead motor, just a basic put-around car. And, of course, back then, you know, they weren't worth anything. I think I think I bought a Roadster body for 25 bucks after that <laughs> when I swapped. But uh, that was my just my everyday hot rod. Drove it all over California. Had a great time with it. And then when I went back east, I traded the uh, Roadster for a Cracker Box 29 pickup truck, the real tall cab. And I did that because I knew I'd be back east in the cold weathers and everything. So I took that back east. And I dropped a uh, Hypo 302 in it with a uh, C4 and Corvette rear suspension and build a frame for it and everything, you know, just something to do in the evenings when I wasn't <laughs> going to the parties. And uh, then I came out here, and I've been building cars ever since. I, my pride and joy is a 1932 Nash with a big block in it, but it looks like a stocker, big white walls, chrome wire wheels, 142-inch wheelbase. looks like a Duesenberg. And uh, I drive that thing everywhere. That's my pride and joy. But I come and go, build, try to build a car every year or two. Okay. Now, are you quasi-retired, semi-retired, fully retired? Yeah. I'm, I'm like I say, I'm basically a consultant. Last year was Hot Wheels 50th, uh -huh. and they went all around the United States doing car shows. And the winner of each car show was sent to Las Vegas to the SEMA show, and there we picked one of the cars to be made into a Hot Wheel. Very successful promotion. They worked with Walmart. Jeez, it was really great. In fact, I hear rumors we might even do it again next year. So I did a little traveling last year. You know, I'd go to conventions. I do if they want me to, you know, go somewhere and sign or do anything. And I've done a couple cars. I'm going to have 10 cars uh, this year for my 50th. So, you know, they, they're still keeping me busy if they, if they need me. 
and I just go in and say hello to the guys once in a while. Super. Well, Larry, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for taking some time out. Now, if people want to find out more about you or get a hold of you real quick, how do they go about doing it? Well, the best thing to do is uh, I've got some YouTube videos showing my shop and talking over a few things about Mattel. So that's probably the best way to do it. I'm not a tech guy, so okay. that's probably the best way to do it. Just put in Larry Wood Hot Wheels. Super. Well, Larry, I want to thank you very much. Uh, with a little luck, I'll bump in you between now and SEMA, because my guess is you'll be at SEMA, right? Oh, I'm pretty sure we're going to do it again. Yeah, but if you're ever in California, look me up. I will do that. Larry Woods, thank you very much. Mr. Hot Wheels. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, Larry Woods, Mr. Hot Wheels, for tuning in, uh, for actually hanging out with us tonight. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network, don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on, uh, I think we're on Twitter. And uh, don't forget, if you pissed any of our past shows, check out our podcast. And there's car shows coming up. Christmas is coming up. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm going to say it probably every show now because it's coming up and I'm in the Christmas spirit. So in the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Downtown Day. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio.